Welcome to the Preacher Podcast, where we believe that preaching should be biblical. And for it to be biblical, it must be Christ-centered. We talk to preachers about, well, preaching. Whether you have preached one sermon or 1,000, we're here to serve those who want to preach better. I'm your host, Alan Stanley. Well, uh, can anything good come out of topical preaching? That's, uh, that, that, that's kind of the, our subject today, and I'm really delighted to have um, two men that have just put together a book um, uh, on this very topic, Malcolm Gill and Sam Chan, both from Sydney. And I'll just ask each of you, if you just take a brief few moments to introduce yourselves, anything that you want to say about yourselves, just to give the listeners an idea of who you are. And you'll have to play a bit of, bit of tag team here between the two of you, but uh, you can work that out between yourselves. All right, I'll go first, just because Chan C goes before Gil, <laughs> but really Malcolm should go before me because he's smarter, way better looking than me. So I think Malcolm's just being very humble, letting me go first. But my name is Sam Chan, and I'm a bit of everything because I was born in Hong Kong, grew up in Australia, did my PhD in Chicago. I'm bivocational, so I work as a doctor, and I also work in Christian ministry with City Bible Forum. So I like bivocational ministry. It always makes the other job feel like a holiday from the other one, and it makes me really, really excited to go to work. And it just makes evangelism easy because when I'm working as a doctor, people say, well, what did you just give talks on? And I can tell them. And then when I do give talks, I can always say in question and answer time when people say, hey, you know, what do I do at work? I say, well, funny thing is just yesterday the same thing happened to me at work. So I, I do like bivocational ministry. Uh, it keeps me rested and on my toes. Fantastic. Um I'm just started this year uh, in January as a part-time orderly at the hospital. So, you know, I'm a long way, from, oh, wow. long way from a doctor, but I totally get the bivocational thing. Do you get to clean up? Like, I work in operating theatres and the orderlies, they come in after each operation and they mop up the blood and body parts. And I tell them, you guys could get a part-time job where you're that guy you call up when you have a body to get rid of. And one of them actually said, yeah, there's a term for that. They're known as the dry cleaners. And I said, how do you know that? You know way too much. You need to stop talking right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's a great job. And uh, it's not just bodies that deal with it. It's live patients as well. You yeah, know. when you transfer the patients, they do... They, they get quite chatty, don't they? Yeah, they yeah. sort of um, see you almost as a pastor chaplain figure. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Malcolm, can you beat that? No, I can't beat that. Um, and Sam made, you know, comments of uh, I'm way smarter and way better looking. Well, one out of two ain't bad. So I'm going to go with the better looking, but uh, we'll leave that one. I am not bivocational. Uh, I work full time in pastoral ministry. But when I was a kid at high school, I always wanted people say, what do you want to do when you leave high school? I always wanted to be a radio announcer 
but not just a radio announcer like on the boring sort of ABC or a news channel. I wanted to be one of those DJs who did like the prank phone calls. Mm. You know, you'd ring up live on air and you'd, you'd play a trick or something. So kind of the, if you're in Australia, we've got Hamish and Andy. It's kind of this duo of people who just ring up practical jokes. So if I was to go bivocational, I think I'd go into radio work, but not to be like a serious guy, but just to kind of have some fun. But sure, um, yeah. at this stage of the game, I haven't gone in that direction. Uh, and so I work as a pastor. So a bit of my background as well, uh, similar to Sam, uh, lived overseas uh, quite a bit. So I was born in Newcastle here in Australia, lived here till I was about uh, 14. And then we moved to New Zealand. Uh, the home of the great uh, long white cloud and uh, lived over there for a few years. Uh, ended up leaving school early, did an apprenticeship in the printing industry. Uh, but during the process of moving and being in New Zealand, I came to Christ and I grew up in uh, similar to, to you, Alan, uh, in a, a brethren church where we didn't have pastoral workers per se or vocational workers at the church so uh, I was preaching as a volunteer like many people in that tradition quite young but I felt that I didn't uh, know the bible very well so I decided to uh, go overseas and get in-depth bible teaching which for me I thought would be two years uh, it ended up being 12 years and um, so there's so much to study and to learn and so I lived in America uh, I squeezed the 12 years into 10, but I uh, lived in Texas for seven years and Chicago for three. Uh, but the last few years I've been serving in pastoral ministry, uh, preaching, teaching, shepherding, marrying, uh, funerals. Uh, but before that, spent about a dozen years teaching at Sydney Missionary Bible College, where I was teaching in the homiletics uh, department. And prior to that, while I was doing PhD work at Dallas Seminary, I was also privileged to be on faculty there teaching in the homiletics department. So similar to Sam, uh, we've both got background. Uh, Sam didn't say this, but Sam's doctoral work uh, was in preaching. Um, uh, correct in that, Sam? It is. And the fascinating thing is I did it through the systematic theology department. So rather than looking at mm. the homiletics of preaching, it mm. was more like, well, what is preaching? Because we say preaching is the word of God, but how can preaching be the word of God if it comes from a finite, fallible human preacher? Mm. So that was fascinating. Mm. And, and that's where I think Sam and I, uh, even we'll get on to, to the book here in a minute, but um, part of the, the beauty, I think, of uh, Sam and I working together and collaborating on this is that my PhD was on the traditional New Testament exegesis side of things where Sam was on the systematics mm. side of things. Mm. And uh, as we're probably all aware, sometimes these unfortunately are, are sort of not, they're not in opposition to each other, but, you know, you either have people who are diehard exegetes sure, yeah. or people who are diehard systematicians. But Sam and I uh, see the value of having a more integrated approach here. Mm. And so that's been a lot of fun even just thinking through, uh, for me being stretched to think more mm. systematically, mm. you know, about things like topics. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure Sam, I know Sam uh, has got a strong background in exegesis as well, but that's been kind of fun mm. to have those differences, but also similarities and similar backgrounds. Sam lived uh, for a bunch of years uh, in the States as well. We've both had uh, church experiences in different cultural contexts, which has been fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome, guys. Thanks. Well, tell us about the book, Malcolm. What's the, tell us the title, but um, 
Why did you write the book? Yeah, there's probably a couple of uh, motivations. Tell, tell, us the title. tell us the title. Yeah, first. so it's called Topical Preaching in a Complex World, and maybe we can unpack that a, a little bit. But uh, I remember many years ago, and this is not unusual, but I was in an itinerant ministry where you'd be invited to speak as a guest preacher, and almost uh, always they would give you a topic to speak on. Uh, every now and then they might say, look, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, you know, we're up to chapter 18, can you preach verses one to eight, uh, and so that's the tradition I come from, expository preaching. But more often than not, when you're invited as a guest uh, or periodically, they'll, they'll people say to you, can you preach on a topic? And as somebody who went to a school that emphasised uh, the value of expository preaching, working through a text, I really felt in some ways out of my depth on how do I go about doing that? What's the right way to do it? Is it even legitimate uh, to do it? And so I did a bit of a Google on uh, topical preaching books. And there was one from about 30 years ago that was very brief um, and there just wasn't a lot there. And uh, over the years of doing ministry, I've heard people make the comment of, you know, I once preached a topical sermon, but then I felt so dirty afterwards. I took a shower. <laughs> um, you know, I heard, and it was a bit of tongue in cheek, but, you know, a well-known uh, Bible teacher at a conference say, yes, um, you know, I once preached a topical sermon, uh, but then I repented of it five minutes later. Um, but then I'd hear other preachers uh, like Don Carson or uh, Brian Chappell, who's one of the senior statesmen of preaching, who would often say, even in their preaching books or, or their commentaries, they would say, there's a place for topical preaching. It might not be your you know, bread and butter, but there's a place for topical preaching. The only downside is there's not been a good resource out there mm. to, to inform you on how to do that well. And so the net result is many people view it, A, with suspicion, mm. um, but B, part of that suspicion, I think, is because they don't have a lot of good resources on how to do it well. So Sam and I um, went to a publisher and said, hey, we've got this idea. We're not saying it, that it should be the, the staple of week in, you know, or week out, but there's this big gap in the market where we just feel there needs to be some voices there. So hopefully mm. in this book we're contributing at least uh, to, to people's thinking that this could actually be a really positive thing mm. uh, and not something to be afraid of. Let's just, um, just for the... I mean, just for clarity's sake, um, tell us what the difference is. You've mentioned expository preaching. Um, I actually prefer, for myself, I hardly ever use that term these days just because mm. it kind of conjures up different things for different people. But let's go with expository preaching versus topical. What's the difference between the two? Yes, Sam? Oh, well... Just the fact that it's even hard to answer that question shows that what Tim Keller says, it's a false dichotomy. Mm. We seem to make it seem like there are these two mm. strict camps, topical versus expository preaching, but really both sorts of preaching do both elements anyway. But, you know, if you wanted strict definitions, expository preaching by definition is you're expounding a text from the Bible. That's where you get the word expository. You're expounding but then even you could push as a philosopher and a systematic theologian, how do you define expounding? You've just come up with another word and some will say, oh, then you're explaining and applying the text. 
Then you can say, well, what do you do to explain and apply the text? And that moment, you've actually got to go topical. You've actually got to use words that didn't come to you from the Bible. You've got to use your own human wisdom, experience and interpretation to explain and apply the Bible. Just to do that, you have to go topical. And then going back to your question, then topical preaching is where you have a topic and you address the topic. So we can think of easy examples. A topic could be work. Another topic could be money. And so you say, okay, how can I have a biblically informed view on a topic such as work or money? And as I say, the, the, the difference really is in what we call pedagogy, how you teach this. So it's form rather than content because the content ends up being the same. Mm. But typically with a expository sermon, you kick off with an introduction where you begin in the world of the listener, mm. take them to the text of the Bible, and then you expound the text. But then you usually apply it at the end. So you have to end in the world of the listener again. Whereas with topical, you sort of begin more explicitly in the world of the listener, say, hey, here's this topic. We've always want to know the answer to how, what's a Christian view on money? Mm. What's a Christian view on work? Uh, what do you do Monday to Friday as a Christian at work or how do you manage your finances? Well, let me show you some, a text or maybe some text in the Bible that answered this question. So you've actually almost done exactly the same thing. And I say we all do topical anyway. It's just there's a spectrum of how explicit or implicit you do it. So let's say you want to go pure, pure text of the Bible, pure. Okay, mm -hmm. no topic, none of this human interpretive element. We're just going to go pure text of the Bible. But then someone's going to say, well, which English translation are we using? Are we using NIV or ESV? At that moment, you've had to make an interpretive decision. And then someone might say, are we breaking this book up into four parts or ten parts? And again, you've had to make an interpretive yeah. decision. Mm -hmm. How many verses, how many chapters? And then when you go expound it, usually the church themselves will say, well, give me a title for your, your sermon. At that moment, you think, okay, well, what topic am I addressing with mm. this sermon? Yeah. So you're always going topical, whether you like it or not. So I guess the aim of this book then is to help us do it well and make explicit what has been implicit all the time in preaching. So let's before we get on to how to do it well, um, I'd be interested to know how do you do it badly? How do you preach a topical sermon um, poorly? Well, I guess, we, you know, you can preach an expository sermon poorly as well and you can preach oh, topical yeah, sermons poorly. Yeah, I, th I think that challenge of topical preaching, and this is what I mentioned in the book, the reason why it's, it can be difficult is at that moment, you're presuming to speak on a topic that you may not know that much about, mm. you know. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and so I think you just got to be humble. And I say that the comparison is if you read a newspaper, often they get a specialist to write in on a specialist topic. So they might get a psychologist to come in and address the topic of anxiety. But in a newspaper will be these general columnists where every week they have to generate another column 
on a topic they may not know that much about. So they, they're what we call generalists. They're not specialists. So as a preacher, more often than not, we've got to be humble and say, you know what, I'm addressing this as a generalist, not as a specialist. So I need to come in humbly and I just better be informed about this topic. So if I do speak on anxiety, I better be informed, nuanced and balanced mm. and, and make sure I don't make any faux pas that, 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 that would distract people. The other thing is, and this is fascinating, if we do address topics, I w- mentioned the word balanced because the Bible often has a both-and approach to topics. I'll give you an example. Let's say we do do anxiety. You know, there'll be one verse in the Bible that says, do not be anxious about anything. Mm. And then there's another verse in the Bible where Paul says, I'm actually quite anxious for you people. I can't wait to come and visit you. He said, well, Paul, which one is it? Don't be anxious or do be anxious. And that's where you realise you actually have to be quite informed and nuanced in the way we address the topic. And the fascinating thing is, if all we had was expository sermon, you have the same problem because if you only focus on the verse, do not be anxious about anything, you'd have a very unbalanced sermon. And if you only... God, given the passage where Paul says, I'm very anxious, I, I need to visit you guys, you'd have a very unbalanced sermon as well. So I guess it's being humble and just realising there's way more information out there than we can possibly know, but do our best to be informed, balanced and nuanced. Sure. I probably preach, I haven't counted it, but probably about 45 Sundays a year, something like that. And and the majority of, of those Sundays I'm being given what to preach on. Very rarely do I ever um, just get told, just preach what you like. And probably, and at least up until this point this year, I've only been given one topic. That was mental health and faith. Every other Sunday has been, um, a, they've been given me a specific passage. And so the way that I kind of hear those two things, when I'm given a passage, let's say I'm given Philippians 4, speaking on anxiety, I kind of think about it like, well, I'm not speaking on anxiety as a whole because my take on anxiety in Philippians 4 is kind of governed by the context, by what Paul is going through and so on and so forth. Um, It's not to say that I couldn't branch out, I guess. Whereas Whereas when I'm given a topic like mental health and faith, immediately I kind of feel this slight bit of overwhelm. You know, like, what the heck do I do with that? Where do I go with that? How do I approach it? Is, is well, it's that, a bit is like that kind if, of a fair. I'll, I'll jump in again. Sorry, Malcolm. It's uh, there's similar challenges, aren't mm. they? Topical and expository preaching, because the same challenges mm. sometimes hit us if we do expository, and they give us a passage in the Bible we have never, like, ever studied in depth before, like just a random chapter in Leviticus on the safe cities or in Deuteronomy and something, oh, my gosh. And then that made me think, oh, I, I need to research this. I need to hear what other people have said about this, read what other people have said. And it's the same with anxiety. You sort of think, okay, quickly, they give me a topic. I've only got a week, a few days, really. What are other people saying about anxiety? So you think of resources like, well, let's quickly scan what the Gospel Coalition has said about anxiety scan what Christianity Today has said about anxiety, scan what the secular world is saying about anxiety. So quickly look up what maybe TED Talks are saying, uh, New York Times are saying, Sydney Morning Herald is saying. And from there, we I think we can get a, enough information. So it's about knowing that, hey, we're not going to get this perfect, 
but it's the same with expository preaching. We're not going to get it perfect, yeah. but how can I be a guide, a shepherd mm. for my people on this topic? Mm. Malcolm, do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I think um, Sam's hit most of the, the key ideas. I do think there's an element of um, this is why it is perhaps so difficult or we've seen bad examples of this. It does, it, really what we're talking about is how do you do theology well mm. and how do you think theologically? And I think uh, for many of us, again, we, we jump straight to, okay, I've got Philippians 4. Let me go find, you know, what Carson has to say. Let me look at Moo. Let me look at, you know, Peter O'Brien's commentary and we can be fairly contained. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and so in that regard, we've sort of got our go-to areas where when we're looking at topics outside, you know, there isn't, if you look up in a concordance, you know, dementia, you're not going to find that in your New Testament or Old Testament. So mm-hmm. it's going to have to be how do we go outside of the Bible and use resources uh, to think about these topics theologically, but also having the wisdom to be able to integrate, you know, whether it's a theological principle or an idea uh, and hearing even other voices. It actually require, it takes us out of our comfort zone, particularly those of us trained in, uh, I won't say one approach, but generally Mm. many of us have come from traditions where there's been a great emphasis on just walking through a text that we often don't, we feel very out of our depth to think theologically uh, uh, about these different skills. And I would say this though, and this is what uh, Sam highlighted, and I think you just highlighted even when you're on Philippians and you look at Philippians 4 and you look at the immediate context, uh, I think one of the, the shortcomings, if I can put it that way, without being struck by lightning, mm. uh, one of the shortcomings of the traditional approach is that sometimes you can zoom so far down mm. into words and verses and passages that you fail to see the big picture and actually develop a well-rounded theological worldview. Uh, so, for example, many people point out Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 12 years mm. preaching through the book of Romans. And the doctor, you know, and we, some would say that's the really the model of expository preaching. He's expounding mm. uh, the text. The problem is what happens if you come in and you're five years into the 12-year series? Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens when you're saying, look, uh, I really appreciate what's going on here in Romans chapter 4 with Abraham Um, but you know what? My marriage is failing. I really could do with some biblical instruction on how do I stay married well? Or, Mm. you know, we've got uh, issues of finances. How do do we think Christianly about these things? Now, you might eventually get to, you know, interpersonal relationships in Romans 12, you know, 9 to 21, but that might be seven years away. And I think one of the values of doing the topical sermon is where, as what Sam said a bit earlier, we're not just going through a text and then saying, here are the implications for the world uh, or for your daily life. We're actually taking topics that people are engaging with and saying, how does the gospel then bear in, uh, in Christ bear onto this topic? But I think it's a really about thinking theologically, which can be quite intimidating, mm. and it does require a different skill set that we need to cultivate and develop. And uh, as somebody trained at the same place as you, Alan, which, you know, a lot of deep respect and admiration for the traditions of getting hard in the text, working on the exegetical world. Mm. I have a deep value for that, but I feel that in theological, the theological component is something that is, I, I have to work a little bit harder at and can be quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, if I come to, let's say I come to, let's say we're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, we come to, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what passage it is, it could be the anxiety passage in Matthew 6, but it take any one. Um, how, you know, am I, am I hearing from you that we're perhaps, we're too you, especially for those of us who have done seminary training and so forth, where we are perhaps too used to getting in the habit of, um, you know, looking at that passage within what Matthew wants to say, for example, uh, as opposed to really, well, what does this passage have to say to us? As a, a, as a topic for, you know, just to use that word. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. If I could just uh, maybe quickly respond, if I'm understanding your question correctly. When we look at the sermons, it's really interesting. When we look at the Sermon of Acts, mm. uh, in Acts, uh, or even the book of Hebrews, which mm. I think is probably the best example of a sermon uh, that we have in the New Testament, they don't feel the same constraints that we do mm. uh, in the sense of yes. uh, you're, you'll often, you know, you'll hear in Acts 13, you know, they ask for a word of exhortation. Mm. Uh, and the only time that phrase is used is used twice in the New Testament, once in the book of Hebrews and once in Acts 13. And what, the, what happens in Acts 13 is they read from the Torah and then they say, does anyone have a word of exhortation? Mm. And then Paul jumps up, yeah. an opportunity, and in essence he preaches a sermon. But it's interesting what he does. He jumps multiple places in the Old Testament mm. and he doesn't give a background on here's what's going on in Psalm 118 and here's the Hebrew word for X, Y, and Z. It's used 14 times in the Old Testament. la di da di da He actually, if we, we put it this way, theologically or topically brings to bear this is the good news message of why you need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Mm. He chooses multiple texts mm. And it's not that he's uh, divergent in that he's, you know, presenting a text and sort of missing out its original context and background, but he doesn't feel any obligation that I need to explore every unique text that I'm uh, using. They almost just flow out of him, you know, like, you know, uh, Spurgeon said that if you cut John Bunyan's wrists, you know, his blood would run bibline, you know, you know saying that the Bible just sort of flow out of, what he did. And I think when you look at the sermons in Acts, I don't think they have the same concerns and constraints that we have. And this is the irony is that, well, you know, if we were to look at what Peter does or John does or even Paul does or the author of Hebrews does, they actually don't follow in a clear cut way the way that we would traditionally go about what we would consider expository uh, preaching. So sometimes I think we've got good concerns. We do want to know what's the Matthean bent to his presentation of the gospel. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm. But I sometimes feel if we actually use the models of the New Testament preaching, we've got quite a bit more liberty than we suppose. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, I, um, we would almost be suspicious of someone like Peter or Paul turned up in our church and preached the way that they did 2,000 years ago. Um, there is, you, you know, we've already mentioned that there is that suspicion with regard to topical preaching. Um, yeah, I, I might just jump in there. Yeah, yeah, so it's all again asking ourselves what what are we trying to do when we preach? And I find helpful that distinction 
between meaning and significance, and I don't know how familiar we are with that in Australia and New Zealand, but in America there was a philosopher called E.D. Hirsch, and he talked about the difference between meaning, what the author means to say, the definition of the words, but the significance of what the author says. And a simple example is if the author said, today it's going to be 25 Celsius, blue skies, sunshine, no rain, that is the meaning. And then we know exactly the sense of meaning of those words. We can explain them, understanding them. But what is the significance of those words? So for a farmer, it might mean, well, I need to irrigate my crops. For a couple getting married, it might mean, well, we can have the open air wedding. For a painter, it might mean, well, I can paint the deck today. So same meaning, but multiple different significances. So as a preacher, I know the meaning of the text. That's why I look up the commentaries. I look at grammatical, historical, exegesis. That's the meaning. But as a preacher, I'm also trying to draw out the significance of the text to my audience. And I think that's what the apostles are doing when they preach in the book of Acts. The other thing that helps me as a preacher, and this is my PhD thesis, what is a text trying to do? Not just what it means, but what is a text trying to do? We don't adequately understand a text until we understand what it's trying to do. So an example is if a sign says wet paint, the meaning is the paint is wet. And we can talk about the wetness of the paint. But what the sign is trying to do is warn you, do not sit down on this chair because the paint is wet. And speech act theory, which is what my PhD thesis was on preaching, is it's not enough just, just to exegete the words of a text. I have to know what is God trying to do with his text? Is he trying to command? Is he trying to warn? Is he blessing? Is he encouraging? And so what I try to do as a preacher then is perform on behalf that action from God, warning, encouraging, blessing, promising, whatever. So it's not enough to just explain the meanings of the words. I'm actually trying to re-perform the same action that God is trying to do with those words. Hmm. Yeah, I bet you find the same kind of thing with your patients, actually, Sam. I mean, probably 99% of the time you can explain the meaning of what they have, but at the end of the day, they just want to know the significance. Yeah, that's right. And they, they might be after a word of comfort, reassurance, but as doctors, we just focus on the facts and the data. Oh, your temperature's 35 today. Yeah, but what does that mean, Doc? Mm. They're wanting yeah. what is the significance. Yeah, yeah. that's mm. good. Can we, can we kind of jump a little bit and, and just get very practical? So, you know, I'm given a topic to preach on this Sunday. Uh, it's not a passage, right? So at least if I've got a passage, I mean, I may, feel the, I may feel the overwhelm, but I kind of have got the direction of, you know, maybe where I want to go. Um, but it's a topic and the whole Bible's in front of me. How do you approach it? Well, you need my book, you need our book on topical <laughs> yeah. preaching. Okay. There's a chapter with a very simple step-by-step. Step. And I say, it's, you, you've been given a topic, yeah. um, but if I just come in and say, today I'm going to talk about let's say disruption, I put everyone to sleep because I'm talking about something. So I think, okay, what is the issue of disruption? So people fear the loss of their jobs. They fear they have to be retrained. Uh, and so then I could say, okay, what, um, the, the, I, I define a question that hits people hard. The question could be, how do I survive disruption? And so there, that's what's going to drive the sermon. And then I have to research the answer. That's the art of topical preaching, the art and science. Now I'm the generalist. 
I research, okay, what is about disruption? How can we survive it? And then I've got to know my audience. If it's young people, young people want to disrupt. <laughs> Middle-aged people like us with a secure job, we fear disruption. So then I think, okay, what, what would God want to say about disruption? And this way there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible, especially in the in the wisdom parts of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, where sometimes we see change is a necessary part of God's creation. But it's all about where do I find my security? Because in the end, it's about fear and security, loss of status, loss of belonging. And then if I can show, hey, we get all those in God and we can find stability in God. So something like that. That's just a quick overview. But really convert the topic to an issue, convert the issue to a question and answer that my audience really wants to know, and then come up with a balanced, nuanced, informed answer. And something where, because of my Christian faith, something where I can give them God's grace, comfort and encouragement. Mm. So you might go to a variety of passages to look at that. I mean, I'm thinking about the sermon as a whole. You might not necessarily stick to one passage. Yeah, it's a wisdom thing. You know, wisdom, even Proverbs says, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Mm. Should I use one passage? Mm. Should I use more than one passage? Mm. It really is, okay, what what would be the wisest way of teaching and encourage my audience? Mm. Yeah, and if I I could say there, uh, Sam sort of highlighted this as well. Um, But sometimes you might have a topic and wisdom, as Sam pointed out with disruption, you'll have multiple views Mm -hmm. and in any given audience you've got people you're going to have some young people who think disruption is fantastic and then you're going to have some middle-aged people who are saying this is a threat and then you're going to have some older people who are saying you know are we going to kentucky fried chicken for lunch um you know you've got a wide variety of people and even when Paul writes to Timothy and he uses the the imperative that used to be, or is the motto of our uh, old school, Alan, K. Rukson Ton Logon, preach the word, he then goes on and he talks about the manner in which we do this, teaching, correcting, rebuking. And there might be a sermon that you're giving on money Mm. where you're going to have somebody who's there who might be a young married couple and they don't really have a firm fixed view on money And so they need some teaching. They need some direction and guiding. But then you might have some folks there who are a bit further down the track who actually need some rebuking. Mm. Uh, They've valued money as an idol, something that they find their security on. And then you might have some older folks who are wondering, do I have enough money to retire? And they might have some real anxiousness Mm. about financial issues. And in any given sermon, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You might walk over multiple bridges yeah. uh, in, in your sermon. But I think that's part of the, again, just a wisdom issue. So even when Paul writes in the New Testament, uh, sometimes he'll write, you know, gently and, you know, with words of comfort. And then you get books like 2 Corinthians or Galatians and he's it's like he's had a cup of cranky, you know, in his coffee and he's just really going to town and laying down heavy his apostolic authority. So I think it's really a wisdom issue. And that's where I know this sounds very pious and all preachers do this. But part of it too is prayerfully coming to a topic and saying, God, Mm -hmm. I'm preaching to this audience. Is it rebuke? Is it correction? Is it encouragement? And again, I don't think it's an either or and it's always that uh, simple. But I do, I am always 
amazed, and this is why God always gets credit, by the way, for our preaching. We pray through topics, we pray through passages, whether whatever style of preaching, but at the end of the day, we've got to trust that God is doing his work, but we want to be praying for people as we go through the process that his word and uh, the ideas that are being presented would meet people where they're at for God's agenda to grow them and to mature them as disciples of Jesus. So I know it's the right thing to say, Mm. but even as we look at, you know, where do you start with the topic? uh, It's always prayer is always a part of this because we are depending on the Lord to direct, even direct where we might go in the sermon. Mm. I think uh, we, we don't want to, forget the spiritual component to that process. I'll just add a few other things um, just because I'm talking about how it needs to be balanced, nuanced. So let me tease that out more. So in every topic, because of God's common grace, because of God's general revelation, and because every human is in the image of God, in every topic there will be some of God's truth, beauty, and goodness, no matter what, and we can connect and resonate with that. And then in every topic, because of the universal depravity of humankind, there'll be something sinful, broken, shameful, idolatrous and rebelling in every topic. Everyone will find a way of running away from God. So there's always a, a, a tension in every topic. So an example could be uh, something like work. Work can become like, because of human sin, can be something very idolatrous, we, we can look to uh, to save us when really we should only look to Jesus. We look to it for identity. So it can be a wrong place in our life. But at the same time, work can glorify God. Paul talks about how, you know, we should work with our hands. It allows us to be generous. We can support others. So there's something good, true and beautiful in work as well. And so that means, and maybe you're going to ask me this later, but in my book, I talk about knowing your audience and we have to resonate with with them, get them nodding their heads. And then we have to disequilibrate them, get them to this moment where you think, huh, I had a problem. And then you fulfill that need that you've just created with the, with the gospel of Jesus. Mm. Uh, teachers say you've got to show an audience that their glass is full. Mm. And they go, yep, my glass is full. Empty it in front of them. And they go, oh, my glass is empty. And then refill it with the gospel. So resonate, mm. dissonate mm. gospel or show them the glass is full, get them nodding, empty their glass, get them to this moment where they go, ha, I have an empty glass. And then fill it with the gospel. So let's say we were talking about disruption and you're talking to people uh, who are threatened by disruption, you can resonate. Say, you know what? Yeah, disruption is scary. But then you bring them to this heart moment where you go, but hang on, um, not all disruption is bad. In fact, a lot of good comes through disruption. Think of antibiotics. Think of keyhole surgery. Uh, that's been good disruption. Yeah. So then you fulfil them with the gospel. We're saying, well, what is it about disruption you fear? It's actually the loss of your identity, status, and security. But what if Jesus can give you that? Then you can embrace and welcome disruption. But let's say now you're speaking to young entrepreneurs who are seeking disruption. You resonate with them by flipping the sequence. You say, you know, disruption is good. Think of all the good things that have happened with disruption. But then you disequilibrate them by saying, but hang on, not all disruption is good. And a lot of it comes from wrong motivations, like uh, sinful motivations. 
So then you say it's all about the motivation. So then you bring them to the gospel in the third part by saying, well, where, what is your motivation for disruption? Is it selfish? Is it sinful? Or is it out of your image of God where you want to glorify God and use his creativity and imagination to bring his love, mercy and justice on this planet? Because that's the sort of disruption we should embrace. So it's all about knowing your audience and knowing the balance and nuance that there is in scripture and knowing that there's always something good, true and beautiful in every topic, but there's also something sinful, broken and shameful in every topic as well. Mm. Mm. So what I hear you saying in there, Sam, is that you might actually, you know, conceivably preach the same topic at one church one week, at another church the next week, but it might not be the same sermon because the audience is different. Totally. And I think in the book I share how my minister and I, we had to come up with a topic on FOMO, fear of missing out, mm. and we're going to give it to the youth group. And at that moment, we all roll our eyes, FOMO, oh, this would be easy. But then we thought, no, hang on, we go to a Chinese church. Chinese youth don't embrace FOMO. They, they're the ones already rolling their eyes at it. Chinese youth believe in delayed gratification, listening to authority figures and knowing that life will reward you. You just uh, keep quiet, don't ask questions and study hard. So we came in and we resonated first by saying, oh, yeah, yeah. FOMO, how silly, as if this will work. But then in the middle part, we disequilibrated them by saying, but hang on, there's some truth to FOMO. We really only have one life to live. Mm. So you better make the most of it. Uh, so what are you living for? Mm. And so then we bring the gospel and say, well, really, in the end, fear of missing out means you better have Jesus in your life. But then we thought if we had to give this same topical talk to, let's say, Anglo <laughs> youth kids uh, in, in, with a beach culture, beach party culture, well, you flip it. In the, you, you, you resonate with them at the start by saying, you know, FOMO is a great thing. Yes, yeah. of course, FOMO. You've only got one life to live. Make the most mm -hmm. of it. But then you disequilibrate them by saying, well, hang on. If you've only got one life to live, what are you living it for? So maybe you need to live it for Jesus. So correct. Same topic, completely different sermons for two different audiences. That's uh, excellent. And you kind of do that in expository preaching as well. Um, I think at least I try and do that. What, um, as you're, you know, you, you're coming to, you know, gospel fulfillment, you're coming to um, the Jesus bit, you could say. I don't mean to quite say it like that, but... As you're getting there, again, I'm trying to think practically and thinking for some of the people listening. So are you, are you thinking your way through the Bible in terms, oh, what would be, what would be a good um, section to bring in here? What would be a good passage? And so on and so forth. I mean, it's not just all, you know, um, contemporary stuff, is it? Or, you know, in other words, where does Scripture fit in? And you know, because I think here's the really here's the real practical thing for people, um, and 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 maybe this is why there's you know this this kind of avoidance of topical preaching. I mean, and just think about how many, you know, how many times I get asked to preach in a year, and how many people ask me to preach on a topic, um, because this is you, you've essentially got sixty six books, and you know, left in the wrong hands, you you could. I mean, the same is true for expository preaching. Yes. But left in the wrong hands, I mean, you could do anything with that particular topic. So can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, and I, you've hit it. You said the same thing is true of expository preaching. Like how, how do you 
like not get it wrong? How do you be? How do you avoid being uninformed? How do you avoid all those things? So the same dangers are all there in expository and topical preaching. I remember Tim Keller said, "Well, that's why you just have to know the whole Bible." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can you make the same danger if you yeah. preach on the Book of Hosea, but that's the only book you know in the Bible. Mm. You know, you know, Tim Keller says, "No, you have to know the whole canon. You have to know your biblical theology. You have to know the whole Bible." And I think that's the answer for topical preaching as well. You do have to know. The whole Bible. You do have to know your biblical theology. You do need to know the stages of salvation history to to know how to preach on a topic. So you you do need to be informed by the whole Bible to preach well topically. It is really true, and and the same is true for expository preaching as well. And I think it's you know one thing that struck me in the last few years is um, you know people never heard. A paragraph every Sunday, uh, but we're talking back in the first century. They never, as far as I know, they you know the book was always read in one sitting. They got a holistic picture, but we but we often um, we often miss that. Now we're just talking about a book, but um, that we can there's a holistic sense that comes through the whole story of the Bible as well. Can I talk? Hey, can, oh, sorry, Alan. I was just no, going to say there's a good example. Uh, of that, even in my um, my own preaching a few years ago, uh, I was doing a traditional walking through the book of Corinthians and my brother-in-law said, hey, he's a pastor. He said, can you do me a favour and preach a couple of weeks? I'm like, sure. Uh, he's like, we're going through 1 Corinthians. And then it was, I discovered from chapter 1 to 11, which are like the trickiest parts of the book of Corinthians. I'm like, you know, hospital pass. Yeah, yeah. But I remember going through and... Um, uh, I was doing sort of just going through each paragraph or each each unit and uh, trying to understand what was going on. And I remember I got to I preached on uh, one Corinthians eleven, which has to do with hair and head coverings uh, and heads, and it's a pretty tricky passage. But I remember working my way through there. Really, the passage has to do with honour and shame are kind of the key ideas. And it was really interesting. I got to the end and I thought. How do I apply honour and shame? And, you know, particularly in interpersonal relationships uh, and there in particular marriage, which was sort of the context of 1 Corinthians. And I was umming and ahhing and I don't know, um, I, I thought for some reason, oh, I just might do a, a search of honour. And then I, it took me to 1 Peter where there was honour and shame, and immediately after that passage, there was a bunch of applications directly given by Peter on how to live, you know, honourably and avoid shame. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got a PhD in New Testament, and yet I almost missed this direct application that came because I was unfamiliar with another part of the Bible. Uh, I I was listening to a, a, a former student of mine a few weeks ago, doing some preaching consulting and he's preaching from Deuteronomy and same thing. He, he had this wonderful passage in Deuteronomy, did a terrific job in the sermon, but there was a verse that actually is picked up in the new Testament that's explained and gets to Jesus that he went a different direction and that's okay. I don't think it's a one size fits all. But when I said, you are aware that that verse turns up in the new Testament, he was shocked and so it's not just about systematic theology. I think sometimes even those of us doing exegesis, there's always connections there that uh, we can miss, uh, and that's okay. Uh, and not every connection needs to be yeah. to be made. Um, 
but it's just one of the challenges uh, out there for all methods of preaching. Yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. Can we talk a little bit about and and you know we don't know how how carefully we should tread here, but there's some difficult topics around today in terms of sexuality. Um, you know, that would probably be the big one on the list. Uh, we could think of climate change. We could think of politics and, and, you know, those kinds of things. And, of course, some of these things have especially risen a lot in the last couple of years and uh, the pandemic has had, you know, probably some influence on that. Um, but there are these sensitive topics um, and, you know, take the, uh, the sexuality topic, for example. Um, I, I've got to be careful here, but I can think of one situation, for example, where um, um, this community doesn't want to touch that topic from the pulpit. And I, and I understand, I get it. Um, and I, I, I don't know uh, the reasons for it, but I can guess that it's just, you know, it's just a minefield. Um, what advice do you have um, in this area? Um, not thinking just of the sexuality area, but thinking of the sensitive, the particularly the sensitive topics and where there might be. I actually had a listener write in and say, how do we preach on these topics without without kind of, um, you know, separating or dividing the church. Yeah, uh, and it's amazing. When you look at Tim Keller in New York, he, he doesn't avoid these topics. He, he, does, he does preach on them. Mm. So it's, it, it can be done, but it takes a lot of wisdom, sensitivity and humility. And I guess that's it. You just see how have other people done it, how have other people done it well. That's probably one way to go. The other reason why it's so hard is you think, okay, this is a complex subject. There's no way I can do it justice in a 30-minute sermon up front to an audience with a variety of backgrounds, pastoral needs and starting points. So maybe sometimes you might have to do it as a series. Another time you might have to say, you know what, this this deserves a seminar, a midweek seminar where we can have 90 minutes of this with a multidisciplinary approach, you know, where we get a team of people, specialists, psychologists, mm. and other people addressing it. So people feel like it was addressed well mm. and questions were answered well. Yeah, and if I could just, just add to that, uh, Alan, um, one of the habits I've tried to do in recent years, Sydney traffic is terrible, mm. and I drive over the Anzac Bridge regularly, and uh, when I'm going over, there's two lanes that go straight and there's three lanes that go right and there's always that one person who wants to push in right at the last minute. And I get so cranky when they do that. So I've got this new thing now, though, is, and I genuinely think this, every now and then some car pulls in and they're, they're clearly in a rush. Now, often if it's a tradie, I just think, well, maybe they're just, you know, trying to jump the queue. But every now and then a car will jump in and I think, you know what? I don't know what their issue is. Maybe that's somebody who's just heard that dad has had a massive heart attack yeah. and they need to get home. Maybe somebody's super anxious because they've got a child at home who, you know, is out of control. Maybe they're, they're racing home because they've got an appointment that they need to make that they realise they're running late for and if they don't make it, there might be implications. I don't know. So now I've 
decided I'm going to pray for that person mm. and not just a prayer of imprecation, you know, that they, mm. you know, that they would <laughs> slow down and get a flat tyre, but I don't know everybody's background. And so when I come, for example, just to use sexuality, uh, when somebody's sitting there in the pew, I don't know what their background is. I don't know if they've been injured by Christian folks. Yeah. They might be Christians themselves, but I don't know mm. what their background is. Mm. I don't know what the pains in their life are. I don't know what their anxiousness is. And I think the danger can be when we preach even on topics, if we just do it methodically mm. and cold-heartedly, here are the facts, and forget that they're actually people, it's a bit like what Sam said with the doctor, uh, and I experience this even as a patient. Uh, you know, years ago I was unwell and you'd get a doctor come in. I was at a teaching hospital and you get one student come in. They're, they're always under a registrar and they'd have some bedside manner. Hey, Malcolm, uh, you know, just tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, tell me about your family. And there'd be a warmth there and then they'd eventually get around to. So, you know, in the last 24 hours on a pain level from zero to 10, you know, where would you put yourself and and why? And you just, there was some sensitivity there that mm. you would be happy to tell them. And then you get another student who probably ends up eventually going into research down the road. Now, they would come to your bedside and say, one to 10, what's your pain? You know, and they would just have this sort of matter of fact, and you'd almost not want to tell them because it was just for them a, something to check off their list. But the tone, I think, really carries a freight. And that's, mm. in some ways, some people are, are more pastoral and warm than others. Mm. But whenever I come to a topic, there's two things I probably want to do. Prayerfully, again, considering the variety of people in my audience, that doesn't mean, as Sam said, it doesn't mean we shy away from the difficulty. It doesn't mean we don't speak about them because that can be actually quite unloving not to address a, a topic uh, front on. At the same time, I think the way that we say it, we actually need to, to be sensitive in the way that we say it and affirming and loving in the way that we communicate, even if we are, and we're never going to please everybody, but I think we can address topics head on. Mm. So I think that would be the first thing is to remember that we are preaching to people. Mm. Uh, but then secondly, um, uh, as we come to a topic, realising we're not always going to answer everybody's question, we're not going to always... Uh, answer everything. But what we can do is we can always point to the grace of God in the gospel. So I always want to be showing, and Sam pointed this on earlier, why Jesus is beautiful, why the gospel is winsome, why this is such good news for us. And it's good news for all people because we're all broken, we're, we're all in a wrecked world. But this is why Jesus is so good. So I always want to douse things heavily with grace of God and the goodness of Jesus and not just be a matter of fact. Here's, I can give you all the topics just like a doctor can sort of outline all the, all the facts, but we, we also want to love people and point them uh, to the beauty of Christ because that is the good news. No matter where we are in our background spectrum, uh, I think we want to be pointing to his kindness and goodness uh, there as well. Do you think it's... I, I love what you've said. Do you think it's fair to say that sometimes we feel the pressure to um, to be black or white, um, to, you know, here's the answer to this particular topic, thinking of these sensitive topics, um, when in reality, um, you know, um, there may be different answers depending on who you talk to. 
and you know the fact that we think that we have the right answer um, is you know well that's from our point of view but it might not be from other, some others point of view it, would it be fair to say that there's room for addressing a topic for um, you know talking about it not beating around the bush um, but just kind of giving the impression that I don't have all the information but again we seek the kindness and grace and compassion of Christ because one of the things that I um, have you know am kind of big believer in is you know I don't necessarily know what to do here with you you know person X but I know that Jesus does and and therefore I don't have all of the information. I don't have all the advice. I don't have everything that you want. I can talk to you about it, but in the end, you know, um, it has to it has to be Jesus, and 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 let Him take you and walk you by the hand. Is it is it fair to say that there's that that there is room for that in topical preaching that we don't have to feel like we get up and say, okay, here's the answer, kind of thing. Yes. Um... Where to begin? Yeah, and again, the same thing is true for both expository and topical because yeah. we're not the expert on this book that someone has just given us. Uh, the, and the, and that's why we're the preacher and we're not the guy writing the commentary. So we're not the expert. And at first, it, that, that we may, in our, when we're young, we find that threatening, don't we? Because we think we're the teacher, we're the preacher, we should know everything, this is God's truth, I should see it perfectly, I should have the perfect representation of it. But I, I was just reading this book that's saying, you know, there, there are two extreme mistakes to make. One is there is no truth, so we can say whatever you want. The other extreme mistake is there is truth and I, I know it. So whatever I have is true, so you better take it from me. The other one is, no, no, God knows the truth and we're all humble mm-hmm. searchers of it, helping each other know it better. So it gives us this epistemic humility that I don't need to know the answers. I don't have to be the expert. It's fascinating. I just talked to a guy who is, he's a ski coach. He coaches international Olympic teams in bump skiing, in mogul skiing. And he said to me, do you know what the difference between a coach and a tutor is? And I said, no, I don't know. He said, a tutor should know more than the student. So if I tutor you in maths, I should know more maths than you do. But he says, a coach doesn't. Mm, yeah, right. the, the, the student can outski the mm, coach. Mm, mm. Just think about it. You know, the, the, the world's number one tennis player, you know, will have a coach and the player can beat the coach yeah. in every game. He says, you, you are not as good as your student, mm. but you are helping them to be better than who they are. Yeah. And I think that's the thing as a, as a preacher. We're not perfect. We don't know the topic perfectly. We don't know the passage perfectly, but I'm a shepherd. Yeah. I'm a coach. And I'm going to coach you into the person that God wants you to be. Yeah. And that allows us to be humble mm-hmm. and not be threatened if our student knows more than us. Um, and, you know, I love it. I learned all this from, there's a lecturer called Kirk Patston at City Missionary Bible College. I learned all this from him, that when a student asked a question or made a comment, one, Kirk was happy to say, you know what, I don't know the answer. But also, if the student made a comment, Kirk would let the comment sit he wouldn't 
paraphrase it or summarise it back in his own words, which drives me nuts when a lecturer does that. Because and and then when I'm a lecturer, I think the same thing. I think this student has probably way more life experience than me. They're an expert in their field. If they've made a comment, I'm going to let it sit. I'm not going to feel the need to comment, summarise or paraphrase you know, what they've just said. And it's, again, it's not being threatened uh, by by your students or the people in, in your church, knowing that they are probably smarter, better, more holy people than you are. Instead, you're the coach, you're the shepherd, helping them be the person that God wants them to be. Mm-hmm. And if I could add just to, to that, Alan, now, I think recognising that for, uh, you can't do everything in a sermon. So whether it's a 25-minute, 35-minute message, whatever it is, mm. you just can't do everything. And I think sometimes our expectation of what we're trying to accomplish in a sermon is unrealistic. And I think having the disposition, as Sam said, of humility and learning, but willing to say to somebody, look, I don't have all the answers, yeah. or even if I've presented an answer that you may or may not agree with, I'm willing to walk the journey with you as together we keep following as disciples of Jesus and growing together in this. So I think it's a disposition of humility, but also a willingness to say to somebody, let's keep walking together as we follow Jesus and, um, yeah, as we we seek to grow together rather than, hey, we've got to sort it out, we've got 25 min- yeah. minutes and I've got to give you the right answer. No, that's just unrealistic. Yeah, and there's a degree of authenticity about that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been great, guys. Just one final question. Um, if And just as this is for each of you, um, and if you haven't already talked about it, what's, what's the one thing in the book that your contribution in the book, I guess you could say, that you just think, this is really what I want preachers to know. Um, what, what would it be from your own individual con- um, contributions? Is there something that stands out? I, I will maybe go ahead, Sam, and you can finish on the high point. Um, I, I really, uh, the chapter on uh, preaching pastorally, um, I'm just always reminded that people sit there in a pew uh, or whatever the context is, and they're real people with real pains. They're really trying to navigate a really hard, complex world, difficult situations. Life's not easy. Mm. And how, I think, can I bring the balm of the gospel in a way that is engaging, that points them to Jesus? And I just think remembering that I'm preaching to people, mm. I'm not just preaching to robots who just are taking in information. I think for a lot of us, um, maybe we've emphasised that the end goal of preaching, I hear this often, is to teach people how to read the Bible. Mm. And I think that's not a bad thing to, if we're helping them think theologically about, you know, the meta narrative of Scripture and how to read Scripture. But I actually don't preach for that primary purpose. Mm. I preach so that people on a Sunday might be exhorted to trust in Jesus. Yeah. And reckon, for me, I think... That's uh, my major contribution to the book that I'm learning for myself is I'm preaching to people who, and they just need to hear about the goodness of Jesus. And so whether that's via a traditional way, whether it's through yep. looking at a topic, uh, I want to assist them in their growth as a disciple of Jesus as a person. Beautiful, beautiful. There's a shepherd's heart coming through there. Same. Well, two things from me. Number one, this book, Topical Preaching in a Complex World, exists because... 
Just over 10 years ago, I was asked by a Christian organisation to give a topical talk at their end of year celebration dinner. I did not know how to do a topical talk. And I absolutely butchered the sermon. I pulled out an old favourite expository sermon of mine, just changed the ending. That's what I did. And it was horrible. I walked away and I, I was... Oh, I just knew I butchered it. And you know that silence from people afterwards where <laughs> they, they, they don't even want to tell you that you did well. Like, like it's so obvious you didn't do well. So this book exists because that sent me on a 10-year journey mm. and saying, okay, I need to know how to deliver a topical talk. And now this book exists and it's got me excited about any topic that someone's going to throw my way. And in my work at City Bible Forum, I'm regularly preaching on topics now uh, in secular spaces like a pub, restaurants, uh, cinema spaces. And so now uh, this book will help you be excited and think, how can I speak on behalf of God on a topic uh, to my audience? But number two, the last two or three years, something revolutionary has happened, like the printing press to Martin Luther, like the internet, like 20 years ago, we're all preaching to camera now. Mm. And three years ago, same thing. I don't know how to do this. Mm. And I look for resources. There are almost no resources because this is a new normal for all of us. So I wrote a whole chapter on the end of my learning experience over the last three years and things I've discovered that have totally worked for me on how to preach to camera, either live or pre-recorded. That's great. Thanks, Sam. And thank you to both of you. And thanks for the book. It's, um, it's just a, a wonderful contribution. And I've just been encouraged as I've, as I've listened. I've been challenged. And um, yeah, it's just fantastic. Fantastic to have both of you on and just love listening to your passion. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Alan. Good to thanks, see you. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to The Preacher Podcast. If you've got a question or topic you'd like answered on a podcast, then please email alan at preachit.nz. If you'd like to know more about Preachit and the training we offer, go to www.preachit.nz or check out our Facebook page. This podcast was produced and edited by Ruffian Beats with music by Samuel James. Catch you next time on the Preacher Podcast where we want to serve those who want to preach better.